So how do you create your dream business that creates generational wealth for you and your family and fulfills your true calling and purpose in life and do what you truly love and make the world a better place without feeling burnt out or sacrificing that special time with your family and friends? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. Hi, I'm Elena Dacus and I'm a founder and CEO of BossyHills.com. And every week I will bring you insights to answer that question. Hey, in this episode, um, I'm interviewing Alex Hermose. It was an interview recorded during Scale Secret Summit that we held at the end of last year. It was, was an incredible, super successful event. And Alex is amazing. I'm sure you know Alex. He has a best-selling book, $100 million offers, how to make offers so good people feel stupid saying no. You should go ahead and follow him on social media. He does share really pointed, very different advice. And his perspective is very fresh, different. And you know what I love about the way he teaches, the way he talks is there's huge amount of values, a different perspective. He's obviously very smart. He's of course, is an entrepreneur, investor, philanthropist, and really by the age of 32, he himself and his wife have acquired a portfolio of companies that crossed over 85 million per year in revenue. Wow. So he's certainly one of the most successful people in ClickFunnels community and is really someone to watch and to listen to. So he's got an amazing podcast as well and a YouTube channel and really someone to follow. So hope you enjoy this and find this valuable. Right. Hi, Alex. Um, welcome. Um, hi, everyone. Super excited to have Alex Harmozi with us here today. Um, really, yeah. I mean, incredible. Your story is incredible. Your journey, uh, one of the most successful, you know, entrepreneur, of course, um, one of the most successful people in ClickFunnels community, um, really in just a short period, a few years have built an incredible fortune that uh, I understand you and your wife now own a portfolio of companies worth over a hundred million US dollars. Um, and um, I think, you know, we're definitely going to talk a lot about today. So again, our audience is coaches and consultants in that early phase, building their first, first million, first three millions. And really, we're going to talk about what was important. Um, and we're definitely going to delve in into your book. Um, amazing book, by the way, $100 million offers, how to make offers so good people feel stupid saying no. Um, yeah, amazing. I've read it several times. I think it's incredible. We're definitely going to talk about that. And in fact, actually, everyone before continuing listening to this, they should pause this and go and buy the book right now because it's it's that valuable. I think it's effectively, um, you know, thousands of dollars in training just uh, brought into the framework. And what I love about it, it's super digestible. It's easy to read. There's no fluff. There's no bullshit straight to the point. Um, which I know. And yeah, so I think people are going to find a lot of value out of this. So welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you for the intro. And just for the record, at this moment, we're, we do about 85 million a year in revenue in terms of enterprise value. That could be anything. But just just I don't want to make sure that... Um, you know, the record is, is straight. And yes. Yeah, no, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Still big numbers, big numbers. And I think your story, maybe we can start there. I think on the first pages of the book, I think this is amazing where, you know, you say that at the age of 27, you found yourself or sleep without a place to live, sleeping on the floor of your girlfriend at the time, Layla, parents' couch, and really in a different place in your life. And then really, Fast forward three years, you own a company that's generated significant uh, profits. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> amazing, <laughs> it was a wild right? Ride. <laughs> it was a wild ride. So before that, there's there's a story before that story. You know what I mean? That's um. So I started my first. So I, I went. I had an interesting trajectory. So I went to Vanderbilt to school in the South. I graduated in three years. So I was a pretty good student. Um, graduated Manning cum laude. Went to work as management consultant for two years. Uh, really didn't like that. Did space cyber and intelligence for the military. Just it's not my my cup of tea. Um, and then uh, from but what I learned from the consulting job was how to learn uh, because that is kind of the job of a consultant for most of these times. As you enter a company or you enter a new industry, you have to solve a complex problem, and you have to have a framework for rapid skill acquisition and rapid knowledge acquisition so that you can make a better and more informed decision than the people who hired you. 
Um, and so I was able to learn that process, which is what I probably applied for the remainder of my life. And I think that's been one of the, one of the, the reasons we've been able to move quickly or as other people perceive it to be quickly through some of the, the, the rungs of, you know, material success. Um, and so anyways, I, I followed that process. I emailed 40 gym owners because that was the space that I entered um, to find out how to run a gym because that was what I wanted to do. Um, and so one guy got back to me. I mentored under him for three months. I worked for, for free and then he started paying me out of feeling guilty. Um, <laughs> and then I, I started my, my first facility. And so from there, um, I slept on the floor at that gym as well <laughs> for, uh, for about nine months. And then uh, by month 15, I opened my second location. And then every six months after that, I was able to open a new location um, off of cash flow. And so I, I, I built a certain amount of notoriety in that space because I was opening up each facility at full capacity on the first day, which was not typical. Most gyms don't open full, they Absolutely. open empty and then you take uh, a long time. Unheard of, unheard right. of, incredible. And part of that was building a really compelling offer. And I think I talk about that a little bit in the book. From there, you know, we did gym turnaround. So for a year and a half, Layla, my wife and I, we'd fly out and do turnarounds because we got so much demand from gym owners who were like, how are you scaling your gym so quickly? How are you making them so profitable? And so we started doing that. Um, and then that just became untenable at a certain point. We had eight guys flying out to eight gyms every month, filling up all of them every month. So it just, it, it got a little bit tiring. And so we switched to a licensing model in March of 17. Um, and so it was during that process, uh, which is where I, I start the book, which is um, we, I, I really needed it to work. <laughs> um, and then long story short, I ended up losing a bunch of money. I sold the gyms that I had to start this new venture, which was and would eventually become Gym Launch. Um, lots of trials and tribulations in between. <laughs> and then um, and then obviously March 17 is when it really exploded. And that's kind of the, the tail end of what I capture with in the beginning of the book and then kind of go from there. And then, you know, we started our supplement company that sells through the distribution base. We have 4,000 gyms, actually more than 4,000. Um, who, who've licensed our materials. Then we started a meal prep company. Then we started a, um, a software company. Uh, then we started buying uh, pieces of companies, which is kind of what we do now. Um, and so now that's, and now we just have an overarching portfolio of companies that, that, we, that we help grow. And so amazing. And there's so much to unpack there, but perhaps to start yeah. with, I think this is what you have mentioned at the start is this idea of acquiring skills fast and I think this is key. And I can see, you know, um, you know, you're very bright, obviously, and also your ability to just condense uh, those complex ideas in a simple way. So is this, how, just take us through the process of acquiring new skills, because I think for yeah. a lot of audience listening, this is going to be extremely relevant. So based on, from what I understand of everyone who's listening to this, the vast majority of you are under a million dollars a year in revenue. And so um, I'll, I'll first the, this is what I think you need to accomplish. And then I'll, I'll talk about, I think the easiest or fastest way to get there. So for anyone who's going zero to a million, uh, the biggest problem that you have is that you don't know what you're doing. And so that's the biggest liability is it's just ignorance, right? You just have no idea what you're doing. And so every day you're paying what I call ignorance tax because you're paying the universe millions of dollars, billions of dollars every year for money that you don't know how to generate, right? Like every year that I'm not a billionaire, I pay tax to the universe because I don't have the skills yet to become a billionaire, right? And so we all pay that tax. We just try and you know, decrease it as much as we can. And so the goal is to you know, decrease that ignorance tax as much as we can to the extent that we can. And so first is being very clear about the fact that in order to uh, get to a million dollars for the vast majority of businesses, so I'm making broad contextual you know, sweeps here. It's not all businesses, but vast majority of businesses or coaches and course creators, you need to sell one product to one avatar on one channel. Most people, most businesses die uh, from indigestion, not starvation. They try to take on too much and to wear too many hats and do too many things for too many people rather than being simple and focused. And so if you only had to solve problems for one avatar in one specific way and acquire them on one channel, it would be much simpler. I think most people in the audience could probably agree, man, that would eliminate 90% of my headaches. And that's good because you have to learn each of those aspects in a, in a deeper way so that you can solve them well. Because the real real of this, which uh, I was talking to Elena earlier, like I tend to have a I have a 97% male audience across all the different social channels that I have. So I'm mostly guys. So I tend to be a little bit rougher and I'll try to try to be a little softer on the edges with this. But the reason you are not making the amount of money that you want to make is because you are not good enough. Straight up. If you were exceptional and you were remark worthy, the value that you provided was in excess of what people paid so much so that they felt obligated or out of reciprocity, the need to tell other people about your services, your business would grow. 
And so as a, as a testament to that, that book that has kind of, is, is kind of blowing up right now, um, I launched with uh, no ads, no funnels, no upsells. Um, I made one post on my Instagram, which is not a big Instagram. Um, and from there, it just started spinning up and spinning up. And I got reached out from lots of people who read it. Now, the book sells a thousand copies a day, um, which you can do math on that. And that's interesting. But it was based on the concept of just providing value first and having value far in excess um, of the price. And so if we can always f- focus on that, it's like, that's the point, right? Is providing value far in excess of our price so that we can have the viral effect of word of mouth and other things. So that's just big picture, one avatar, one channel, one product. If we do that- And we'll by, channel, by channel, what, what do you mean by channel? So there's six ways of getting new customers, right? Uh, and this is just large buckets. Within each of these, there's lots of sub buckets, but you've got paid advertising of any kind, right? You've got earned media, which would be any type of social profiles you have where they have a platform that distributes your stuff for free, that you build up followership and audiences and listeners and subscribers, whatever it is. Um, The third is owned lists. So every single person who's listening to this has a cell phone full of contacts. You've already given you permission to contact them. You have friends on Facebook. who have given you permission to contact them. You have Instagram followers. who have given you permission to contact them. This is not cold reach outs. These are people who already know you. And most people have, you know, one to 5,000, sometimes 10,000, when you combine them all together, that they've never even thought to reach out to. And they're like, well, how do I mm-hmm. get customers? I'm like, you haven't even reached out to the 5,000 people who know you. Why, would, why don't we start there, right? It's free and they already know, you already have some element of trust. So those are the, the three first ways that I consider platform ways, platform channels. The other three channels are manual outbound. So that's where you reach out, cold call, cold email, cold text, if it's if in your region that's allowed. Um, and these are people who have not given you permission to reach out to them, but you reach out to them anyways, because they fit certain characteristics that might be, uh, similar to the type of customers that you have, right? Cold, cold audience kind of thing. Yeah, completely cold. Yeah. I mean, we run, um, I mean, one of our companies, 75% of our sales volume is cold calls. So, I mean, it really like, and so each of these channels that I've talked to, we've done over eight figures in, uh, or from rather. Uh, so I can tell you all of them work. You just have to commit to one of them. And so there's pros and cons to each. Uh, some of them are more labor intensive, some of them are cost intensive, some of them are more skill intensive, uh, like paid advertising takes lots of skill, right? Uh, you know, making an affiliate relationship doesn't take nearly as much skill as running paid ads, in my opinion, right? But there's other downsides of having affiliate relationships, which is number five, which is finding somebody who already has your pool of customers um, and making some sort of win-win integration with their business. And so the key differentiator here that a lot of people get wrong is they're like, hey, I want to find somebody um, who can be an affiliate for our stuff or another business. And they'd say, hey, you know, put my business cards on your front desk. Well, that's not going to get any business, right? We have to find a way that we can integrate our product into their client experience so that we can provide more value to their customers. Like we have to lead with value, right? And so if I was giving this example the other day on a, on a podcast, um, if I had a dry cleaning business, right? It's like, well, what do you do if you're a dry cleaner? It's like, well, I would go to all the high-end clothing stores where people would need dry cleaning from that stuff and say, hey, with all of your, all of your bags, can you put a free dry cleaning. And you can also tell all of your customers that if they buy from you, that they'll also have dry cleaning services. The first two dry cleans are for free uh, on you guys as a part of the fact that you're a premium supplier. It's like, it's simple ways that it makes them more valuable. That's no cost to them. Right. And then I start getting free customers and I have, but people are like, well, how do I do that? And I'm like, well, you, you, you go and you reach out and that's, I mean, this is business, there's work. Right. But if you have a hundred of those people and each of those doors gets, you know, 20 customers a day or 50 customers a day. Right. Then all of a sudden you've got 5,000 people a day who are, are qualified buyers who have the thing that you want. And maybe 1% of those people come your way, but 5,000 times 1% is 50 customers a day. It's probably more than your dry cleaning place can handle, or at least it would give you regular flow of new customers. So anyways, that's just an illustration, but you could do it with any business. Um, and then but the I final- think what's interesting, yeah, I'm just to interrupt. I think what's interesting there, what's key is that complementary element. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? So that from a customer experience, it becomes even better service than just dry cleaning alone. Yeah. I think that's, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. And you can also be on the flip side of that and be, and say, Hey, you know, if I'm a massage therapist locally, then I would say, okay, I'm going to go to all the gyms. I'm going to go to all the chiropractors. I'm going to go to all the orthotics dealers. I'm going to go to all the people who have tangentially related products and say, Hey, I would like to give away. I would like to send you customers. Is that okay? They'll all say yes. And say, cool. What, what's the best thing that you can give me that I can give them to incentivize them. And so you'd negotiate a big uh, cool, either discount or free services up front. Now, all of a sudden, if I say, hey, 
if you sign up with me as a massage therapist, not only that, you have all of my suite. I've got 10 pre-negotiated back cracks from 10 different chiropractors. I've got, uh, you know, I've got 10 different gym passes that will give you a month. So you can have 10 months for free at whatever facility you want, blah, blah. And I could keep stacking all these things. And then all of a sudden the value proposition that I have for my just one massage becomes a thousand dollars worth of value. And so all of a sudden I can break the, the price, the value discrepancy that, that most people suffer from, or so the, sorry, excuse me, the price commoditization that most people suffer from. And so it's just thinking a little bit more creatively about business. But so there's, there's, we've covered five of the ways of getting new customers when we said one channel, right? And the six is word of mouth, right? Referrals, which I think a lot of people really undervalue. And every one of the biggest businesses in the world is off of word of mouth, right? Because that is the, of the five that I just talked about first, all of these are linear in that if I put $100 in, I get a set ratio out. So I put $100 in, I get $1,000 out. I put, or I put, I make 100 dials, we get one customer. If we, if we put, um, if I get X amount of affiliates, I'm going to get Y, Y clients. Like there's a fixed ratio that I'm going to achieve. Referrals and word of mouth is the only one where one person tells two, two people tell four, four people tell eight. It's quadratic. And so that's why it's wildly underappreciated and undervalued by the marketplace. And so a lot of times even people have struggle, will struggle with their, uh, marketing stuff. And it's because they have a negative quadratic marketing campaign working against them. One person told two people that they saw two people told four people that they saw Right. And so here's, what's crazy is that, 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 that quadratic expansion is happening, whether you like it or not, it's just whether it's going to be something that hinders you or something that hurts you. It's, or that yeah. helps you, excuse me. And so, um, big picture, zero to a million, one product, one avatar, one channel. And so if you're looking at those ones, it's just, it's just figuring out which of these do I feel like I have the highest likelihood of success given the skills, resources, et cetera, that I have. Maybe you have a network, so the affiliate thing might make, make more sense. Maybe you have a lot of sales aptitude, so you could start cold calling cold re- and cold reaching out, and you have an easy way to find lists. And somebody who's listening to this is like, well, where do I find lists? Google, how do I find list of X? You'll see all the list sources that are out there. There's also free tools on the internet that you can scrape off of Yelp, off Google Maps. All that stuff's free. It's there for anybody who actually wants to put work in. Right. Um, if, if it's if it's owned media, like I said, you've got 5000 leads right there that are waiting for you. They already have given you permission to access them. Right. If you're looking at earned media, it's finding uh, it's, it's continually posting on a regular basis. The harder part about that is, you know, are you a super hot girl uh, who looks good on camera and is really good at presenting? If that's you, then maybe you should build an audience and work great for Kylie Jenner. So, there, you know, there's something to be said for that. It's just that one tends to take more time. So it really depends what your time, time. horizons are, what your cash needs are. Um, paid advertising is the fastest, right? Of all of them, arguably, maybe affiliates. Yeah, maybe affiliates. Affiliates are pretty fast too. Um, but in terms of fast and at scale, and you don't need to ask for permission, which is one of the benefits of paid ads, but you have to be very good, right? And so there you have to pay to play and you pay in both skill and time uh, to get good at it. So yeah. it just depends on what you're, what you're best at. If you already were a paid advertiser in one space and you're transitioning to another, then maybe it makes sense for you to start there. So it just yeah. depends on who you are. Most people need to fix the product and make it good enough that they're getting people. People should want to buy your product because you've made it so good that they would say, feel stupid saying no. If we do that, then the rest of this whole equation becomes very easy, which is why the first of the 10 book series started with product, which is $100 million offers. Yeah, indeed. And I think this is kind of, it fits in really nicely into the structure of the summit as well, because first day we talk about offers. And I think this is part of this, because really, if you, as you say, if you have an offer that's really compelling, that's really irresistible, the package, the bonus, the value, then everything else is easy. If you have, if you screw that bit up, then everything else is just extremely difficult. Yeah, it's much more difficult. And it's a thought experiment for everyone who's listening um, or watching. If, if you're in a, I'll just give you a B2B scenario. So if you were selling B2B services of any kind, right? Or courses of any kind that most B2B scenarios fundamentally can boil down to, I will help you make more money. That's what they are, most of them, right? And so if that's what you were selling, first off, I would question that fact because if you were not making money right now, if you're trying to pretend to be a guru, I would, I would advise against it. Um, but in terms of a thought experiment, if you were to say, hey, um, I guarantee that I will be able to double... Uh, the profit in your business, or I will be able to add $5,000 a month to your business within six months. Um, or I'll pay you, you know, twice that amount or twice the amount of my program, uh, or I'll work with you for free. There's a number of ways I discuss it in the book that you can decrease the risk for the prospect. How likely is it that someone is going to buy? If I guarantee you twice as much money as you paid me, that you will double your business uh, in, you know, 90 days uh, and you don't have to do anything. I'll do all of the work for you. Uh, how likely is it that people would sign up? Probably very likely. 
And so there's an, there's, there's, that's one extreme, right? And the other extreme is uh, pay me, maybe you get results, maybe you don't, uh, it doesn't really matter, right? Which is honestly, a lot of the people who are probably listening to this, this is your offer. If you were to boil it down, soup and nuts, right? Sure, there's stuff that they have to do. Sure, there's things that you're going to claim that you're, you're going to help from a value perspective, but that's the offer, right? And so these are two extremes. And the idea is how can I start here and just peel as few layers back from this so I still have a wildly compelling offer that more people will say yes to? Because usually it's zero to a million. You don't know how to market. You don't know how to sell. Um, you don't know how to price. Like there's lots of issues that you probably have besides just the obvious one, which is you have no customers. Um, but if you can start with a really irresistible offer, even if it's not scalable, right? And that's the one I, I had a, a conversation the other day with a guy from high school that I graduated with and he got laid off. He's a chiropractor. Uh, he just graduated. He's like, hey man, I need to make money. And so um, anyways, I gave him a couple heads up and, and so he started making money. But before he did that for 90 days, he didn't make anything. And he kept saying, hey, I need to change my offer, but I'm really concerned with it not being scalable. Um, and I was like, dude, you have no customers. Why are we having this conversation? Like go get customers, go generate cash flow, and then you'll have cash flow to solve your problems. Right. And so this may sound extreme from the people who are listening, like, well, uh, what do you think? I'm going to go and like fly to their house and like take their groceries and do that stuff. The honest answer is yes. Here's why. When I started Gym Launch, which was our gym consulting company, we flew around the country and did 33 gym turnarounds. So people think, oh, he says that now. That's exactly what I did. And so it was because I was so concerned with making sure that everyone got an amazing experience, everyone got value, and I didn't charge them anything. So the offer that I had at that point was say yes, that I can fly out to your facility. I'll cover my own expenses. I'll pay for the advertising. I'll work the leads. I'll sell the leads. I'll teach you how to fulfill on them. And my compensation for doing this is I get to keep 100% of the sales that I bring in. And after a defined period of time, you get to keep the customers. They're absolutely free. So you just fulfill them after I do all the acquisition stuff. It's a pretty irresistible offer. And people are like, well, that wasn't scalable. Well, I would still be able to do $100,000 in sales every 20 days on my own, just me sitting at a desk. And so what it will give you is the trench knowledge to solve every aspect of your customer's problems to a degree that no one else does. It will also give you a story behind the marketing for when you do make the pivot, you're like, hey, and this is the Tesla model, start super high and then work your way down the pyramid rather than starting low and trying to work your way up. It's much easier to say, hey, I have five super VIP weight loss customers that pay me $3,000 a month. And I literally do everything. I shop for them. I cook for them. I go to their house. I give their husband a high five. I do all of these things for them. And you make $15,000 a month. And yes, you're a slave, but that's okay because you're generating cash flow. And then from there, people start reaching out because the amazing results that you will give someone, because how could they not get results if you're giving them this level of service? And then people will say, hey, oh, I would love to do that, but I can't afford that. And then once the demand starts to grow, then you can peel off and make your course or make your lower level, uh, lower touch version of this. Or, hey, I will coach you through my process rather than doing it for you, et cetera, right? But the process is most people have it backwards, right? They try and start at the bottom, start thinking about scale, like they're going to be the next Dropbox. And in reality, you got to pay rent, you got to pay, feed your family, and you got to start making money. And the way to do that is to sell the unscalable at first. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because you're right. Most people, what do they do? They start with a low ticket offer. And then they try to ascend their customer through the value chain, yeah. um, which is actually, this is interesting. And I think just, just trying to relate this, perhaps an example that's going to be relevant, relevant for people, this is almost like done for you service. So you start at the very end of your value, value ladder and say, right, what's the, how can I serve my customer in the highest possible way, maybe without getting in flying into their house, but almost like holding their hand on every single bit. That actually doing it for them, I guess, yeah, there will be some issues where you have someone's completely lazy, doesn't want to do it, you know, yeah, but then they pay you for them. it. And you'll learn how to help them, right? Because like the, the point of this process, and just for everybody who's, 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 if this is your first business and you're here, right, and you're below a million dollars, I will tell you that as long as you do not quit in the entrepreneurial game, this will not be the last business you have, right? At this point, I think I have, not including the portfolio companies, I guess, including them, I think we've, we've owned 18 businesses at this point, right? And so like, you think when you're starting that this is going to be the thing, the, the likelihood that it's going to be the thing is extremely low. Look at every great entrepreneur that's out there. It is extremely rare that it is their first swing. Most of them, it's their fourth or eighth swing before they actually really knock it out of the park. It's because you got to learn, right? And so in my opinion, the objective of zero to a million is just to learn how to become an entrepreneur and learn the game of business. And I think the best way of doing that is getting really in the trenches to learn every aspect about the avatar that you want to serve. 
right? And if you do that, you'll, you'll, you'll develop so much better skills than the, and don't worry, no one else is going to do it because everyone else is lazy. And so you have such a unique ability. If you have any, any work ethic whatsoever, just over deliver for the clients you have. And don't worry about the scale, worry about making sales, generating cash flow, over delivering, retaining those clients, right? Because the thing is, if you have a handful of clients, it's easy to get more, right? When you're trying, if you need a hundred people buying your $37 ebook to make your rent, it's very difficult, especially after cost of acquisition, right? Now, an ebook written by somebody who has clients that pay him $30,000 a year for these done for you services is now a far more compelling ebook that I'm much more likely to buy. And so it's not just, I'm not just saying to do this for no reason. It also gives you a marketing story that you'll be able to go down and, and the broader base pyramid. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, some people don't, they, they don't feel too petrified. It means, you know, it's not forever. You're just doing that for a certain period of time as a kind of a um, skill acquisition, and then you can transition to something a little more sustainable. Yeah. Perfect. So let's talk a little bit more about the offers and the kind of the packaging and pricing and how to make it really irresistible because you, you cover a lot of that in the book. And I think it's super valuable, especially your value equation. I think um, th that that is powerful. Yeah. So, many, I mean, hopefully the audience has heard, you know, of Warren Buffett, right? And he's quoted saying, price is what you pay, value is what you get, right? And I think that in the internet space, really the entrepreneur space in general, the word value is thrown out a lot, but very few people offer any kind of definition for defining what it means, right? And so it's very difficult to achieve something if you can't even define it, right? And so the book was kind of my attempt at, at, at defining value as we see it um, across our companies. And when we look at the products and services that we want to deliver, um, how we can incrementally or exponentially increase the value that we're providing in four key ways. So the way I envision this is a fractional equation. So just imagine a line and you've got your numerator and your denominator. Don't worry, there's no math, just visualize it. So the first component of this is the dream outcome, which is how attractive is the thing that we're actually selling the person. And the main reason this is the first one is that um, there, are, there are generalities that exist you know, between industries. Like in general, you know, for men, for example, uh, making money tends to be more valuable to them because it'll increase their status more than let's say being handsome well. Right, which is why men's beauty products are not really that big of a market, but men make money products are comprised mostly of men, right? Um, and so in general, if you had two of these offers, you will typically be able to get more for this because it is more valued by that avatar. And so that is why the first of the four is just what is the dream outcome that we are selling? Now, the other remainder of the three value equations, if we have two things about making money, for example, uh, or weight loss, it doesn't matter. If they're two of the same thing, then the other three va value equation variables will come into play. And just as an extreme example of that, you might sell an ebook on weight loss for $9 and someone else is getting liposuction for $50,000. They're both the exact same dream outcome. Why is there such a big price discrepancy? The other three variables. So variable number two is the perceived likelihood of achievement. All right. And so that is how likely do I feel as a prospect that after I make this purchase that I will actually achieve this outcome? Now, if we're looking at the example I this gave, if I buy an ebook on weight loss, do I think that this way, this, that my, my stomach is going to get flatter and thinner, et cetera. I would bet, I would wager that most people who buy a $9 ebook, if you actually has them bet in a realistic way, they wouldn't bet that they're really going to lose weight, right? It's really just scratching a marginal itch that maybe this could be interesting. Whereas if you pay $50,000 for liposuction, that fat is coming off with or without your permission, right? It's coming out. And so the perceived likelihood of achievement is massively different. But I'll show you a different example in terms of how it actually confers value to the product. So let's say we have that liposuction example. Now we're talking same dream outcome, same core offer, all right? If I have one doctor that it's right after medical school, this is his first surgery he's ever going to do. And I have another doctor, it's his 10,000th surgery that he's doing for this exact same procedure. If you were to go and get liposuction, which of these doctors would you prefer to go to? Moreover, which of these doctors would you pay more? Probably the guy's done 10,000. You might even say, this guy has to pay you in order to get, go into the knife to be the first patient, right? And here's what's crazy. Every doctor has a first patient. So, but as an aside here, it's also, we'll take this, this 10,000 person doctor probably half the time to do the procedure because he's done it so many times. So you're, you're paying for less time, right? But what, how is it if, he's, if we're paying for less time, how is there such a great value discrepancy between the first time guy and the 10,000 time guy? Because your perceived likelihood of actually getting what you want is so much higher. And so because of that, in a very real way, just your perception of what you will get independent of the actual service that's being provided confers value to your services, which like I said at the very beginning of this, if I had 10 clients that were paying me $30,000 a year in a very real way, when I do choose to do a done with you coaching program or do it yourself program, I will confer that value to that product 
based on people's perceived likelihood of achieving it because of my story. So number one, dream outcome. Is it something that they actually want? Is the thing they value the most? Number two, what is my prospect's perceived likelihood of achievement? Between both of these things, these are the numerator of the value equation. The high, we want to make these as high as we possibly can, all right? And so that's where social proof, storytelling, those types of things are going to come into play to increase the value um, of what you're selling. The second half of the equation, the bottom side, the denominator, um, is three and four, all right? So number three is going to be the time delay, all right? So that is a function of speed. How quickly between when someone purchases uh, your product or services, will they actually achieve the outcome, that dream outcome that we promised? What is that gap, right? And one of the fastest ways to uh, create value in a marketplace is look what everyone else is doing and do it in half the time. Simplest way to provide value. And if you look at the biggest companies in the world, that is where everyone values their time. And so I'll give you two kind of different examples of this concept. So if I were, let's say, a marketing agency, right? Um, most marketing agencies say, hey, you know, sign on with us, sign this contract. After that, it's going to take us 30 days to ramp up and we have to create creative, blah, 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 right? There's all this stuff, right? Now, compare that, for example, with the person signs the contract and all of a sudden their phone rings. It's a new qualified lead. How much more valuable is that service? Even if I took the same result that was going to happen 30 days later and made it today, how much more valuable? A lot more valuable. Right. And so the question is, like, for us as entrepreneurs and, and value providers, which is ultimately what we do, problem solvers, is asking ourselves, how can we make the outcome happen faster? Right. What things do we need to do in order to make it happen for them in a faster way? And it's a different thought experiment for everyone. Um, I think you said this is mostly female audience. So if everyone here, let's say there was a, I'm just using weight loss because everyone understands it. If I said, hey, buy my weight loss program. And when someone clicked the button, they looked down and they had a six pack. How valuable would that be? Extremely. And I know that's a thought experiment, but the point is, is that that time delay confers real value in pricing of how you can make more money selling your services if you can do something that everyone else can do faster. All right. And so that is the third one. All right. And so the goal there, obviously, is to decrease the time delay between purchase and achievement. The fourth is effort and sacrifice. Effort and sacrifice are two sides of the same coin. All right. Effort are things that a prospect does not want to do. Uh, that they now have to start doing that they were not doing prior to engaging with you. So in the marketing example, they might have to start working leads. They might have to approve creative. They might have to make creative depending on how you run your agency, right? So all these things that they weren't doing before, now they have to start doing. Well, all of a sudden, like those are very real costs, right? People, I mean, the number one complaint of every marketing agency is they don't work the leads, right? Or they're not, you know, they, they don't know how to sell. It's like, well, then to what degree can we help them solve those problems? Because these are real costs that are getting in the way of the value that we're trying to provide. Right. And so that is the effort part. So our goal is to decrease that. And the flip side of the coin is sacrifice, which is what are things that the client or prospect is already doing that they enjoy doing that they no longer get to do as a result of working with you. So in a weight loss example, all of a sudden Susie has to wake up early. She doesn't get to sleep in. So she's sacrificing there and it's effort too, because now she's doing something she doesn't want to do, which is wake up. So just, it's two sides of thinking through it. I just like thinking through both sides of the equation, but it's the same overall concept of pain, right? And so she now doesn't get to eat the foods that she likes eating. She doesn't get to eat with her family because they're eating something different. She has to go shop at different places, right? So she's sacrificing convenience. So there's all these other elements that she now has to do that she didn't have to do before that make the value of the service lower, right? And so the whole idea here, all of these uh, value variables kind of relate to one another. If I uh, if I have to do tons and tons of effort and sacrifice, my perceived likelihood of achievement is going to drop, right? If I know that I'm going to have to do all these things, then there's going to be, I, I might perceive a time delay, right? It might, may, may not be true, but I might perceive that at least these things have to be done, right? And then time's going to extend. And so the idea uh, for all the entrepreneurs who are looking at their products and offerings and their services is how can I increase the top side, the dream outcome? How can I increase the perceived likelihood of achievement for our prospects? How can I decrease the time delay between when they pay and when they get? And then finally, how can I decrease the effort and sacrifice so that in their mind, as soon as they buy, they feel like they're going to immediately experience this thing, right? And so our goal is to then, and I walk through the process in the book, is write out every single problem that can possibly happen for your prospects before, during, and after uh, using your services or you're buying your product, right? And then systematically solving every single one of these uh, issues in a way that actually works, which is why I like the done for you. Because if you're doing it that way, you're going to help them encounter all these problems. You can solve the solutions and then you can productize it and sell it, right? And you can sell it as a done with you solution, et cetera. And so, uh, and just as a sales hack for everyone, if you solve the 
the problem that will come out as a result of their success, it, it, it is implied, uh, in, it, it will increase their perceived likelihood of achievement. And so in so doing, become more valuable. So I'll give you an example. Yeah, like a, follow, like a follow-up problems in your bonuses. Yes. So if I said, I'm going to help you make more money, uh, if I say also we have tax planning, so uh, so that once you have this excess stuff, we'll help you decrease your taxes. We'll also have an investment advisor to help you increase, to, to invest all the cash that you're going to be generating from this thing. All of a sudden people are like, wow, I mean, if, if they're solving these problems, then people must be achieving this outcome, right? And so you can actually use this as a persuasive tool in addition. So you want to solve the things before, during, and after the entire client journey that someone's going to have using your product and all the problems, both perceived and actual, that they're going to experience. Yeah, no, I think that's very powerful, actually. And I don't think many people do that systematically. You see a lot of people in the office, they just add in all sorts of bonuses. But actually, when bonuses really thought through, like a car, when you buy a car is a great example. I think it's somewhere in your book, isn't it? What do you get as soon as you bought a car? They give you, you know, here's your maintenance, here's your warranty, here's all the problems you're going to face and I'm going to solve it to you right now, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, yes. So I, I agree with you. I think the vast majority of people just kind of look around and see what everyone else is doing and then try and copy it. So, yeah. But, and I think also, I think what's important to also understand, we talk about the uh, dream outcome. I think you talk a lot about this book as status related, how important status is in the dream outcome. And yeah. um, also for women as well as for men, isn't it? Totally. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, What's funny is uh, I tell the story that uh, Russell Brunson, so you guys know ClickFunnels, if, if I'm guessing it's a course creator audience, they probably do. So he was telling a story about how his wife, Colette, was saying um, how he said, everyone wants status, Lamborghinis get status. And she's like, well, I, I'm not driven by status. I would never drive a Lamborghini. But when they thought about it, it was because in her, her world of moms, if she drove a Lamborghini up, people would see that as completely irresponsible, wouldn't make sense, not motherly. And so she would actually decrease in status. And so it still is 100% status, but it's going to depend on who the avatar is and what drives status for them, right? Um, and so if you can use that concept, uh, it's far more powerful in, in your marketing to show how their peers are going to perceive them as a result of the newfound experience or transformation that you're going to deliver, um, rather than even saying, hey, you're going to make more money. It's even more powerful to say, hey, you know, your, your husband will look at you differently. Your, your parents, that one parent that you always feel like is disappointing, you'll finally be able to tell you, I told you so, right? I told you this wasn't stupid, right? And so that's going to hit, the, the more specific we can be, the more, the more teeth the copy is going to have because it's going to have emotional resonance with the, the prospect and then ultimately going to drive them to, to take an action. Yeah, no, I think that's really, really important, actually, really powerful. And I remember Dan Kennedy, I was hearing him talk about this, that actually it's all about perception of other people. Uh, you know, everything this. is. 100%. Yeah. And I think another element I think was really important, I want to draw people's attention to this, is this likelihood of achievement. You talk about this in your book as well, is that get the, people need to see the results quite early in the process, as quickly as possible. And then they really become really committed to the program, really committed to the um, process, uh, because again, their perceived likelihood of achievement increases so much. Yeah, so this, is, this actually comes from my weight loss background because I started in fitness. Um, but there's, there's a tremendous amount of research that suggests that it's, it's actually better uh, you'll, you'll, you'll have a higher likelihood of clients finishing and having long-term weight loss if they have more accelerated short-term weight loss. So as much as people will foo-poo the, uh, the crash diets and things like that, if you are a coach and you're walking someone through the process and you set the expectation that they're going to lose more money, more, excuse me, lose more uh, weight in the beginning, and then it's going to slow down over time, what happens is that if you can, if you can give them an expectation and you can meet it or surpass it, then what you gain is trust. Right. And so usually also someone needs to have some sort of big momentous occasion to kind of give them that emotional momentum to keep moving forward in a process that's very long and, and honestly just not that enjoyable. Right. And so I learned that from the weight loss world that we would try and, you know, start things with challenges and things like that to get people going. And then after that, we would transition them to more sustainable, you know, longer term weight loss plans, uh, because then we had earned their trust and they knew that we knew what we were talking about. We knew we could deliver that. We're like, okay, now we've done that. Let's transition to something a little bit slower, but saying, Hey guys, I can help you lose one pound every two weeks. It's going to be amazing. I think most women will probably be like, no, thank you. There's another guy who can help me over here. Right. And so it's like, do what they want first and then give them what they need. Right. And so uh, we transferred that concept into, um, into the B2B services because clients, 
you will have significantly higher percentage of people renew and ascend if they have some sort of activation point, right? And so the easiest way to figure this out for your own business, once you have enough customers, is to look at what are your best customers and then what happened to them in their first week or two weeks or three weeks that created uh, the success that was going to happen later. And so then what you do is you reverse engineer, okay, well, these are my most successful clients. What happened in their first month that didn't happen to the people who failed? And then what we do is we drive all of the activities and the operations of the business towards those milestones. And so if, if for example, I was selling some sort of B2B thing, it would, it would be like, okay, I'll help you close your first high ticket sale in the first seven days. Now, if that's what, if that's what I was teaching and I got them to close a high ticket sale in the first seven days, how much goodwill do you think I've purchased? A ton. I probably paid for half the cost of the program in the first seven days. So now I have trust, I have goodwill, and the likely they're going to extend, trust me more, implement more of the things is much higher. Whereas if someone does not do that because you have this long indoctrination process of, of videos and stuff for them to go through, then they're never going to achieve success, right? And so a lot of times we try and do what's the fastest route to money? What's the fastest route to an activation point so we can earn the emotional trust and bond of the prospect or customer so that we can create the long-term relationship that we ultimately want? Yeah. And did you use the same thing in gym launch? Was there something kind of front loaded on the sales side to get them to get them to see revenue as quickly as possible? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, we for us, we know that if we can get, help someone get a, a two thousand dollars customer at a gym, and the average gym's you know charging one hundred twenty dollars a month, uh, if they're if we can help them make a two thousand dollars sale in the first seven days, I use that one because it's actually what it is. Um, the 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 LTV the customer multiplies by like five back, and so that's where all of our all the KPIs on the customer fulfillment team. Um, all, all go around revenue generated in the first 14 days of working with us. And so our goal is how, how can we increase that to the highest degree possible um, for as many customers as possible? So for us right now, for example, in, uh, in our space, and this is funny uh, for everyone who's a course creator, like the average gym that works with our gym launch company, the licensing company, uh, makes 14,000, sorry, 15,500 in the first 14 days. So they make 15,500 in their first 14 days working with us. And that's the average, which means half the people do better than that. It also means half of them do worse than that. But even in my marketing, I'll talk about this because I'll say no one else is even talking about their averages because they're bad. You don't even track them, which is probably because they're bad. <laughs> and so right now, if you don't know what the average you know, success rates of your customers are, well, I can tell you it's probably bad, right? It's like, these are metrics that we need to start tracking. What percentage of customers, you know, activate, which is whatever predefined milestones we have, what percentage of customers churn out and don't fulfill their payments, what percentage of customers are converting to our higher level, so they're ascending. Um, and then these are metrics that we're driving on our backend and fulfillment team. And ultimately, the better you do that stuff, that's what gives you the competitive advantage. Believe it or not, once, you, once you're decent at marketing and sales, the cost to acquire customers um, from one brand to another in the same space is often very similar. I know this because our software company um, helps brick and mortar agencies. Uh, they white label the software for, for working leads, et cetera, but I have access to all their data. And so I can tell you that if you're acquiring a brick and mortar uh, customer, the, the range for pretty much everything you can think of from realtor to dentist to gym owner to chiropractor, like whatever you can think of is gonna be one to 3000. Cause that's about the, that's, that's about the range of what it costs from paid advertising. Now I had a, I'll tell you a story that I think will drive this point home. I, uh, back when I, I did, I, I used to sell consulting days every once in a while, I've probably sold six in my life. And one of them was a competitor of mine asked me to help him with his business and he was competing in my space. And I said, sure, because why not? And so, uh, we, we drew up all his numbers on the board and it turned out he was doing the same sales volume as we were in terms of number of new units per month, but I was making 10 times the revenue and about 80 times the profit. And so the difference was everyone's so focused on this part, but their LTV is $6,000 and it costs them $2,000 to get a customer. And then they have to make that spread and then fill everything else in the business there, which is usually crappy, which then perpetuates the vicious cycle of having poor service and they don't get word of mouth and they cost more to acquire customers because you get like, and then it just gets worse or your sales team has no conviction because you're not providing value. And I talk about this stuff in the book. And so the idea is how can we raise the price in a very real way? How can we provide things that other people are not providing? How can we provide more value in a very real way to that customer, even if it's not scalable? learn what we need to learn about how to really get this avatar to this end goal as best as we can. How can we do this in a way that we're not impatient? Like, like I didn't say like, okay, I'm going to launch a gym for one month and then I'm going to start this licensing company. Like I did it for almost two years after having six gyms of my own because I didn't even feel confident after having six gyms to say that I was going to sell my services and know that no matter what market they were doing or what model they had, that I could say confidently that if they follow these steps, they'll be successful. Right. And maybe that's my own insecurity. I don't know. 
but I could say that it, it paid off to have that longer term time horizon, which is what most people who are starting out do not have. It's like, how do I make a million? I mean, the questions I get, the DMs are like, how do I, how do I make a million dollars this year? I'm like, well, you're making zero right now. So why don't we start with like, you know, making a sale? Why don't we start there? Right. Well, that, but yeah. I can't do that because that's not scalable. Well, you're currently scaling zero. So why don't we, why don't we start making a dollar and go from there? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think this important thing is it's not just about raising a price for the sake of it, because of course, you know, there's a lot of conversation happening that raise your price, high ticket sales, you know, you just got to raise your prices. Well, it's not just raising your prices, isn't it? It's actually raising the level of the service you provide, because if, if you provide so much as you've described in your offer, you know, of course, I'm going to pay for it. Of course, I'm going to pay $40,000 per month if you're going to generate me 100000 in the first month. Of course, it's a no brainer. That's the point, isn't it? That is the idea. I mean, the reason that there's such a, a bad name in the guru and internet space is because people jump the gun and they, you know, learn to sell high ticket. And I mean, it, it's not going to stop because the demand for skills uh, is only growing because the failure of the, of the institutions that exist right now in providing skills to the marketplace. Like most people want to work. Most people want to provide value. And the, the, the formal institutions that exist have failed miserably at that. And so the demand, is, the demand is still there. It's just going elsewhere. And the skills are becoming more nuanced and more niche, which is why the, the, the guru and e-learning space is exploding. And I think this is going to continue to proliferate. But I think in enough time, it's going to be, um, I like this quote from Navarro Ravikant, but um, technology democratizes consumption and consolidates production, which means if you're the best in the world, you get to do it for everyone. And so this is why I'm saying like, if you can be a little bit more patient and think like, how do I, how am I, how can I really be the best at this? And if you're honest with yourself, if you think that you are the best at what you, what you claim to do and you don't have any customers, you're not the best. And if you look at other people in your space who are selling to a similar avatar, and let's say you're making $10,000 a month and someone else is making $100,000 a month, what I would urge you to do is not poo-poo them because you're not going to gain anything by trying to cut them down. It'll also not serve you mentally. But if you look at them and say, they are better at business than I am in some way, I should put my investigator hat on and figure out what it is. Do they have a better product? Are they better at sales? Are they better at marketing? And I find this ironic in that people will sell B2B services about marketing and how to make money and be upset about another person who's selling B2B stuff about how to make money and how to market and sell. And that person is making more money than them. And they say, but they're not very good at it. And yet they're literally better at marketing and sales than the person who's claiming to be good at marketing and sales. And so it's yeah. just like, I think a lot of people delude themselves because their egos are so fragile. So I think big picture, most people need to do a lot more work than they have. Um, I, I, I tend to be somewhat contrarian when it comes to like, everyone's an expert. I'm not really a believer in that. I think most people are, are, are pretty bad at most things, um, especially the things they think they're good at. And um, a lot more work needs to be done. And that's why I like take on the customers with very high touch, learn how to become a master of the craft um, and how to deliver an exceptional client experience. If you get to a point where no one ever refers you to business, it's still like, what's the point of marketing it? Because like you need to have yeah. enough promotion to generate the first sales. But the like, that's not how the scale occurs, right? The scale occurs, sure, it's promote, you have your product and then you scale people. Like that's the, literally that's just like everybody here, zero to a million, it's like you have to learn a little bit of promotion, right? One to 10 million, it's all product-based, product-driven. 10 to 100, it's all people-driven, yeah. right? It's all talent. It's all about the talent you can recruit, manage, Team. hire, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. But where you're at, if you're zero to a million, you need to learn enough promotion, but you will make your life so much easier by making sure that you are good before you just try and jack it, right? Because when you jack it, if you have no backend because the product is not that good, you will eventually fizzle out, which is why you see these guys come in and out of your newsfeed. Because if you are a moral person, which I would imagine most people in this audience are, the negative, unsuccessful students that you have will kill you. It will kill your soul. It will crush you. And the only way that you can combat that is by having the conviction that you really do have the best product and that you really are going way out of your way to serve them. And only you can know that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think your, your story really highlights that and your journey really highlights that. Um, one thing I'd love to, and I think well, just to say on that, 
you know, I think there's some there's a really beautiful thing in the fact that we all crap at most things when we start because you have to get to I don't know your hundreds episode or public talk when you get decent and then for another hundred you get a little bit better and then you get a little bit better but someone yeah. starts and we all crap when we start so I think there is hope in this I mean in actually especially when you think about growth mindset you know it's just about the journey and we're all really bad when we start but we do get better but just with practice and consistency isn't it yeah <laughs> i, just, I, mean, I just like to demystify it for everyone because a lot of like it's everyone has this i think there's a fallacy that there's this one missing link and if i'm marketing that's exactly how you want to present it to a prospect because you want to just feel like it's one missing link because you want someone to feel like they're 99 of the way there because that's ideally how you'll get someone to believe that the perceived likelihood of achievement is high the effort and sacrifice is low and that it's time labor low that is how you market marketing is about new right business is about better very different and so a lot of marketers try and apply their marketing concepts and always create new things and new things and new things when in reality if just the thing that you did was so much better you would you would make more money, and I think that that's just lost on a lot of people. But yes, a hundred episodes, and it just take it take it takes repetition. It takes it takes it takes volume, right? Violence is yeah. the answer is one of the things we have in our community. Um, is that sometimes you just need violent volume? You know, you need to, you need to do a hundred chats every day. You need to spend a hundred dollars a day on ads every single day, and that might mean that you lose money for two or three months before you finally make get it to work. But it's going to be faster to do that than just sit there and be paralyzed. Yeah, agreed. I want to talk about your mental journey because I guess I've seen a lot of people, they hit a certain income threshold and then something happens in their mind and really mindset game where, you know, you can call it self-sabotage or they just reached a level that they're personally internally not comfortable with. How did you navigate that mindset journey? Do you do something? I mean, do you have practices, especially when things are growing so fast? Uh, how can you do? You, how do you stay still? So, this will be a good way to 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 come home on 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 this chat because the very first question you asked at the beginning of this was, you know, how do you approach learning? How do you approach skill acquisition? Um, and so, I think that having a framework or a mental model around this is important. And so. What I share with most people around this is just my view, which is that there are three things at every level of entrepreneurial success. And so imagine you have a ladder, the figurative you know, success ladder that everybody is trying to climb, right? And spoiler alert, money only solves money problems. And once you've solved all your money problems, you're just left with problems money can't solve. But um, if, if you need to go achieve that to figure it out, you're welcome to. Um, and so if you have a ladder here, right? And, and you have your rungs of the ladder. At each level, you need all three to move up. Right. If you just have middle rungs and no side rungs, it's not going to, you can't grab on anything. If you just have side rungs and you don't have middle rung, you can't grab on anything. Right. You need all three sides at each level. And what's interesting is that you may have one side of this ladder that's more developed, four levels more developed than another side, but you will rise to your level of constraint is to the, to the lowest, the weakest link. Right. Which is why sometimes the overnight successes happen because you might have a level 10 on this, a level 10 on the middle, and then a level two, and then all of a sudden you bump that up and then it explodes, right? But it's because the other two sides were built out. And so if you can see the journey, uh, like a ladder or a bridge where you have to reinforce each step of the way and ask questions instead of the binary of, am I successful or not? But rather, am I making progress? How, how much better am I now? Am I closer to being successful than I was last month? Then you'll, you'll escape the binary binary thinking and starts thinking in continuums, which is reality rather than the psychological binary that we prefer, right? And so back to the ladder analogy, there's three things that I believe that make up kind of each level that you have to continue to rise up and change. Uh, skills, character traits, and beliefs. And so, and you can, you can change the word beliefs to assumptions, right? And um, I think it's an easier way too. And also, if you need to change your beliefs, it sounds really heavy. But if, if I say, hey, I, I think you're assuming that people won't pay this. And I, I just think you should challenge that assumption. People are much more willing to challenge an assumption than a belief. And so if you can even relabel your own beliefs as assumptions, which is really what they are, um, then it'll be easier for you to change them. All right. And so I'll give you an example of each of these um, in the real world. So uh, a friend of mine had uh, an app. All right. And so he had a little fitness app that he had created um, and he was like fourth in the CrossFit games. So he wasn't quite the podium, but he was really, really good. And he was uh, really ashamed that he didn't hit that and he didn't want to promote it because he didn't feel like he was worthy of promoting because he didn't win, right? And he made the app and he just only gave it to people who had asked him for workouts and he never talked about it. 
And finally, after enough testimonials and, and, and enough people, he said, you know what, maybe this is good enough that I can start talking about it. And so his belief changed that it was in fact good enough, that he didn't need to be the best CrossFit Games athlete to have this app. And within a matter of months, he went from 20,000 a month to 150,000 a month. The skill of uh, the skill of uh, the fitness stuff didn't change. His 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 character traits of his work ethic and things like that didn't change. It was just simply his belief changed, and then as a result, he had an explosion. Right? I'll give you a different example. This is probably a lot of the um, actually a lot of the entrepreneurs right now who are who are listening to this. So, if you can phrase the problems that you have as skill deficiencies, it becomes much more useful. So I hear this one all the time, especially from the zero to a million folks. It's like no one can sell like I can sell. Well, you know what? You should probably just never find salesmen. You know, good luck with that. Um, you are so special that you have such a unique sales skill that no one in the entire world can ever replicate it, right? Of course not. Someone, there's tons of people who are probably better than you are, right? And so the skill is, I don't know how to recruit, hire, train, manage a salesperson to sell at this percentage. And so now you have something that you can go solve for. Rather than saying, no one can sell like I can sell, if you can just phrase it as a question, which is how do I insert problem, then you'll be able to actually solve it. And so most of the skill deficiencies um, fall in that category. It's like, and even once they get one person, they're like, well, I, don't, I can't, I don't, I can't, I've tried to hire two or three people and I can never manage them. Okay. Well, scaling and managing a sales team is another level of skill, right? First you learn how to sell. Then you learn to teach one person how to sell. Then you learn to teach lots of people how to sell. Right. And so those are each skills, right? And so if you don't have that, you won't succeed. Now, the, the, an example of the character trait, which will be really common with the one, one million plus ish crowd, but also super common in the sub million crowd, um, is that, uh, let's say you do know how to sell, right? So you have this skill, but you're like, well, I have this, this business here. I have this business here. I have this business here because you listen to Richard Branson. And he says, he's got a bunch of businesses and you're like, well, he's a billionaire. So I should have lots of businesses too, which is retarded. Um, not for him because he does it, but I'm saying for anyone who's starting out because you don't have the skills yet, is that the character trait of patience, the character trait of focus, the character trait of being able to repeat successful actions, right? These are things that you might have the skill of sales, but you're unfocused. And so because of your character, you are not being successful because you can't stick with anything. You can't commit, right? And so you don't have that perseverance to continue to grit through things so you can get those asymmetric returns that happen after the first 20 hours, right, of doing something. And everyone has this fallacy of believing that like, I'm going to start three businesses and I'm going to see which one works. When in reality, as long as you're in a marketplace that's not dying, right, you're not selling the newspapers, as long as you're not in a dying marketplace, all of the businesses will work, but none of them will work if you try to make them all work. So you can, you just got to pick. And I think I had a, a, a I don't know put it, if I put this in the book, but I had a conversation with a different guy I went to high school with. Um, he owned a roofing company and he was trying to scale his roofing company. Um, and we hopped on a call because I knew him. Um, and he said, yeah, so we've got this roofing. It's really good margins. It's, it's our core thing, but we're also doing some general contracting. I'm also doing some flipping in real estate. And I was just like, dude, this like, He's like, yeah, I'm doing that so we can scale. Um, and I was like, well, why don't you just sell $250 million a year roofing? Because the number one roofers in the world do that. So why don't you just do that? Just sell the thing and just sell lots of them, right? Um, and for most people who are listening to this, it's like, that's usually the, the, the mindset that we have to have is one product, one avatar, one channel. Now, the key point is to not take that and say, okay, one product, one avatar, one channel for each of my three businesses, right? It's... You got to get rid of your babies and keep the one you like the most. And you got to commit to that because if you just don't stop, you will eventually figure it out. You will, I promise. And it will, it will eliminate the variables that you have to solve for. Trying to figure out three different acquisition processes with three different avatars, three different companies, three different products. Very, very difficult, right? Just figuring out one on one, one channel, which is like, I'm going to commit myself to doing cold outreach. Every day, I'm going to do 100 messages, and that is how I'm going to build this business. If you said, I'm going to reach out to affiliates every day and reach out to people who I think have my audience and try and structure deals. And the first ones you do will suck, and they won't work, and won't make sense. But you'll try again, and you'll try again until eventually it'll seem like magic, and it'll actually work, right? And then you're like, oh, my God, yeah. now I'm going to do it again, and I'll do it again, and I'll do it again. And then all of a sudden, it explodes, and everyone asks you, and then you make a course on how you do this, right? Um, I'm kidding. But yeah. that's, that's the idea. So you need all three, and the thing is, is that the beliefs traits um, and skills change at every level. And that's why entrepreneurship is so interesting is that a lot of times the process is unlearning, right? So when you jump from your job to doing this, you have to take complete control of everything. You have to take complete, um, 
complete authority of everything, right? And we do this because we seek freedom. What's hilarious is that you cannot have both complete control and absolute freedom. The more control you have, the less freedom you have. And so everyone quits their job to then take complete control in the assumption that they will somehow have freedom when it's the exact opposite that happens. And so at every level of the entrepreneurial journey, the one thing that, that, that blocks everyone is control, is that you have to relinquish control. You have to let go. So in the beginning, you do everything. And then one level above that, you have five, five direct reports who represent each of the core functions, right? You've got somebody who helps you with lead generation, somebody who helps you with, with you know, nurture, somebody who helps you with sales, somebody who helps you with fulfillment, someone, you know, et cetera, right? And so you got maybe some billing person or an operator, et cetera. So that's, that's you got your core team. But then you're like, but you still, you're still looking at everything, right? And sometimes you probably need to do that because the first people you hire, probably going to suck. That's okay because you don't have experience. But then as you get better, you'll have better judgment. You'll be able to hire better. You'll be able to recruit better. You'll get better level talent. Because the thing is, is as you level up as an entrepreneur, higher level talent will come to you. They're not going to come yeah. to some person because they're like, I can't find anyone who's good. It's like, you can't find anyone who's good, not because they don't exist, but because they are not attracted to you. Yeah. And it's because you're not good enough. And that's okay. But it doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means it's a problem that I get to solve based on my skills, my character traits, and my beliefs. And if I can continue to level those up, eventually my business will grow based on my extraordinary effort and lots of control. And I'll be able to relinquish that as I get higher and higher and higher talent in. And I can give away more and more and more control of the business until eventually I'm not even making decisions for the business anymore. I'm just making sure that we are communicating and we're doing things that we find valuable. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think what's super, uh, what you've said, what I think is really important, and I just want to reiterate that for people to really hear that, is the way you change their assumption is just asking a different question. You know, change the belief by asking a question. It really is that powerful. Can you just rephrase that as a different question? Um, which I think is key. And also this kind of what you've talked about, the character, and this has been super, super honest with yourself to know, well, actually, wh- which areas do I suck? And this is difficult for people, especially coming from high-powered corporate backgrounds where actually, you know, you try to kind of sell your strength. It's always about um, brushing your weaknesses. But actually, when you're super honest about your weaknesses and really what you need to compensate when you work on, it gives you a lot of power in a way because you know what, what needs to be solved. Yep. Isn't it? I love that. <laughs> I, I, I want, agree. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, one thing I wanted to mention is your wife, Layla. I just, you know, there is actually maybe it's a woman reading your book, but there is kind of this undertone of journey of your wife. And I just, when I was reading it, I just saw the amazing support she gave you throughout your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I'd love you to say more about what that meant to you and your success. I don't think I would be where I am now without Layla at the speed that we got here. Um, and so a lot of the, you know, my explosion in business happened. So, I mean, I had six locations before I met Layla, so I wasn't an idiot. Um, but the tremendous growth that happened after that was because what I had is I finally had an operator. And so she was like, I was very good at acquisition and she was very good at fulfillment. And, uh, and she honestly... Uh, did that because she just learned that. And so we had a mentor early on who said, hey, you need to divide your roles up. So anybody who's married with their spouses who are doing these businesses, the first thing you have to do is divide the roles, right? Because otherwise you crisscross, you, know, you step on each other's toes. Um, and we actually were business partners before we were romantic partners. And so I had this idea for gym launch and I said, you should join me. And you, I, I looked at her pay at what she was currently making. I was like, I'll double that if you work for me. Um, and so she ended up taking it and uh, working for me. And so we, we were immediately had a business working relationship. And I think a lot of people, to your point, they, they don't ask good questions, which is like, they're like, how do I get my husband or how do I get my wife to be like X? And that's not a good question to ask uh, because you're not gonna change anyone. And so if someone doesn't already innately have an interest or in, in the game, it's unlikely that they're going to have that happen. Uh, and so I don't think it's about making someone do anything. Um, I think it's about clearly defining what you need from that person. So for me, I knew that I wanted to have somebody who's going to be in the game with me. That was a decision that I made, right? I, I've only really seen two entrepreneurial kind of setups work. You've either got the, I borrowed this from Gary Vee, but I like it a lot. You've got the fullback and you've got the cheerleader, right? The cheerleader is cheering you on the sideline, is supporting you, is taking care of other stuff, taking care of personal matters, taking care of the home life and just saying, hey, go in the game. We're here for you, right? Um, which candidly, means that when the game's on the line and when pressure's, pressure's going, that's not the person who says, hey, throw in the towel. They say, hey, finish the game, finish 
finish the fourth quarter and win. Right. And a lot of people don't have that. So they think that just because the person's not involved, like, Oh yeah, I have a cheerleader. It's like, is that person actually helping you win or are they, are they detracting from you? And then you need to have a real conversation. The other side is the fullback setup. That's what Layla and I have um, where, you know, one of us blocks, one of us tackles. And we just, every day we're, we're, we're going in and out and we're in the trenches together um, in the businesses. And so in those dynamics, it's very clear division of roles. And honestly, we, we work just like, like other, anybody else would work together in the business. So we, we have communication cadences. We, you know, we sit on separate meetings and um, it's worked out because at the end of the day, we have tons to talk about because we, we're not, there's no overlap. She's on different meetings than I am. And I can find out what's happening in different departments. And so rather than everybody sitting on the same thing every day, cause then you look at each other and you're like, I spend every hour of my day with you. I know how your day was. It was shitty. And I was there. So, <laughs> so that's, you know, that's the idea of what we're trying not to do. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Alex. That was amazing. So much value. Um, amazing. So everyone go and buy your bo the book right now. The best, uh, yeah, the best, yeah, it's, it's basically uh, super valuable and people just need to buy it immediately. And the training and, course, can I just say the training course on your website, acquisitions.com is beyond belief. I cannot believe it's free. I would pay easily 10, 15,000 for it. Um, and you. we'll make sure we'll provide the links uh, at the bottom as well. And yeah, it's uh, just for everyone. It's acquisition.com singular. Um, and uh, the book you get, if you're, if you're, if you're challenged financially, the books it's on Kindle for 99 cents. So um, made it 99 cents. It also has the course. It has all the downloads and checklists that come with it on the site. You don't have to opt in for anything. It's all there. There's no upsells. Um, and acquisition.com is kind of my uh, transition to more like half philanthropic, half capitalistic work where the goal is to help as many people as possible get to, you know, 3 billion, 5 billion a year. And then hopefully, you know, I can, invest in your company and we can help it grow together. But even if we never do, it's just to help more entrepreneurs win because, you know, at least that's the reason that we get up every day. Perfect. Thank you, Alex. Hey, hope you found this helpful and a useful episode. So many takeaways, so much knowledge, so many insights. If you enjoyed it, hey, I'd love you to leave us a podcast review on any, any platform that you're listening to. Send me an email on contact at bossyhills.com and follow us on social media at Bossy Hills Club. Speak to you soon.